Well, good morning. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for uh, braving the snow. I heard that we're helping uh, resettle a family on the North Point Community Heights from Burma. I wonder what their adjustment to the climate is going to be. I think Burma's pretty warm, isn't it? Well, hopefully they have some winter clothes. Oh, maybe 10, 8, 10 years ago, I had been having a little bit of back trouble, but I just wasn't paying attention. And, and one day it got to me. I was actually working in the office and I would stand up, and, and I could just kind of walk it off, but I am not walking this off. And I get home, and it's kind of like Hope's wondering, am I going to be able to get you out of the car? And so I ended up at the doctor's, and that sent me to the physical therapist. And one of the things the physical therapist explained to me is, when your abdominal muscles are weaker, it affects your back. And he had all kinds of stuff for me to do. But it was interesting to me, the connection between here and here. I thought he'd go to back here, which he did some, some stretching, but he said, no, we want to do some work here. Well, I think that's a picture of our relationship with God and our human relationships. Our family, our friends, they're not separate. They, They are very connected. And if our relationship with God is off, if it's distant, It's going to affect our human relationships. Many of us would say, boy, the things that matter to us in life, our family, our friends, our kids, our spouse, our co-workers, relationships. Well, the relationship between God and the relationship between others is connected. And I want to talk about that connection today. So if you've got a Bible, I would invite you, as Cody said, to turn to Genesis chapter 4. We're going to work all the way, our way through and ask that question, how does our relationship with God affect our relationships with people? Our passage starts this way. It says, now the man had relations with his wife Eve, talking about Adam, and she conceived and she gave birth to Cain and said, I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was the keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of ground. So Adam and Eve have two children, Abel and Cain, and as Johnny talked about last week, uh, they've been put out from the presence of God because they choose, chose to be their own God, and they have two children. And what's good is, is these two children are, are talking about seeking God. And it says this uh, in verse 3, Now it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions. Again, the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Now, scholars will speculate, why did God not regard Cain's offering? Ultimately, we don't know. We opened this calendar year in January looking at the book of Malachi, and what we saw is they were offering second best to God. Was that the case with Cain? We don't know. We're speculating. What we do know is God has accepted Abel's offering, and he's rejected Cain's offering. And Cain's angry, and his countenance has fallen. And so God deals with that in verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? He's, he's going to give Cain a chance to get back right with God. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching. Picture an animal, tiger, something, ready to pounce. 
Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. We talked before, sin is this decision we're going to live apart from God. And there's all kinds of ramifications, what we think, what we say, what we do. And God warned Cain, sin is, is ready to pounce. It's ready to take you. It's ready to own you. It's ready to be your master. You have a chance to get right with me. Cain doesn't take God up on that offer. It says, verse 8, Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. We don't know why. I would speculate jealousy. Abel's sacrifice was acceptable. Cain's wasn't. God says, Cain, you need to get right with me. He doesn't. He's distant from God. Sin takes hold of him, and he acts on that, and he kills his brother. He's got one sibling, but not anymore. That sibling is dead. And so, right off the bat, we see this relationship, this connection between our relationship with God and our relationship with others. So, so we're, we're wrestling with this question, how does our relationship with God affect our relationships with others? Here, here's what I'd say. Distance from God equals distance from others. You're, you're, we're in a bad way with God. Generally speaking, we're going to be in a bad way with others. There's a connection there. Now, I mentioned Johnny's sermon last weekend. If you didn't see it, you weren't here, I would encourage you to do it. He did a real good job unpacking that. And, and what Adam and Eve did is God said, hey, there's a whole bunch of trees. Just don't eat from this one. They thought, no, no, no. I want to call my own shot. I want to do my own thing. And that got them in trouble with God. That got them put out from God's presence. But, but that wasn't an isolated instance. That wasn't, oh, oh, that's just Adam and Eve. That affected you and it affected me. And uh, theologians argue what how, how do you explain that? Some people say, well, it was, uh, it, it was imputed. In other words, if, uh, if Donald Trump today decides to shoot a missile at Russia, you're at war with Russia. Now, you didn't shoot the missile, but, but as you're an American. You're at war with Russia. Um, other people are going to inherit it, and this is what makes sense to me. Just like we inherit physical liabilities or physical traits, or weaknesses from our parents, so we inherit this tendency from Adam and Eve to rebel against God. We're going to say to God, no thanks, I want to be my own God. Hey, I want you to come in line under me. No thanks, I'll call my own shot. You've inherited that, and so have I. Now, people get angry about that. That isn't fair. And we can argue about that all we want, but, but it's the way it is. So I had both my grandpas died of a stroke. At 70, my dad had a major stroke. He lost use of his left side. Now, I get mad about that. That isn't fair. That isn't right. But I'm probably drawn to a tendency towards stroke. So the smart thing to do would be to say, given that's true, what do I do? Well, at 43 years old or 42, I walked in to have my physical, and, and my cholesterol was off the charts. And when they look at risk factors on a stroke, they said, that's one of the risk factors. 
So they want to put me on medication. Well, give me six months. So I exercise. I did everything. I'm like, I was, I'm probably, I was probably 15 pounds lighter than I am now, maybe 20. I mean, I ate like cardboard and turpentine for breakfast. It just <laughs> exercised. And I went and had my cholesterol checked. And it went up. It went up after losing that weight. And the doctor said, you can pick your friends and you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your parents. You've got bad genes. I had a weakness I couldn't deal with. And he said, there's time to let technology come over, put me on a stat, and my cholesterol's come down in 20 years. I've been doing it 15, whatever. Um, my point in that is, you've inherited a tendency, and so have I, with God. We rebel against them, against him. We can't fix it on our own. What was true of Adam and Eve is true of us. God says, da, 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 and we say, no, we're going to eat from that tree. We'll be our own God. That's where Jesus stepped in, kind of like the Staten steps in for me. Jesus steps in, and he died on the cross. He lived the life we were supposed to live, died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins so we can be right with God, and we can deal with the weakness we've inherited from Adam and Eve. And that, when we trust Christ, it makes us right with God, but that right relationship with God then begins to affect our human relationships. Let me illustrate, uh, I didn't become a Christian as a freshman in college, but I remember a couple uh, relationships from high school where, you know, just my insecurities were in play. I was a pretty good swimmer as a freshman. I won an invitational. I set our school's record in my event for the art backstroke. But then I went to a major freshman invitational, and we got wiped out by this kid named Sam. I mean, he was just on another level. And I remember somebody talking to me about this guy, and I said, yeah, yeah he's stuck up. I thought, I don't know that. I've never talked to him. He doesn't even know I exist. Why did I say that? Why did I make that statement? Jealousy? Insecurity? Because I could practice and practice and practice, and I wasn't going to be as good as this guy. And my worth was in my performance. It wasn't in God. God says, I'll meet your need for significance. But my worth was in my performance, and my performance was pretty good until I got against this guy, and I wasn't even close. So what do I do? I bring him down. Is it based in truth? Is it based in fact? I don't know. I, I've never talked to him. But I just made that assumption because I was insecure. I wasn't getting my needs met. God. Later, as a junior, we moved from the Chicago area to the Houston area, and I went from the top of the social ladder. I felt like I knew, in a school of 2000, I felt like I knew everybody or every group, the athletes, the, 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 the smart people I knew, the cheerleader. I just felt like I knew everybody. And I went, when I went to Houston, I was at the bottom. I didn't know anybody. I remember being angry, angry that these people weren't my friends. Well, they didn't know I existed. Why was I angry? Because I had this need to have the right kind of friends. And so I wasn't looking at friendship as what can I do for another person. I was looking at friendship as what, 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 what can you do for me? Well, when Christ meets your needs, that changes your view on relationship. See, distance from God is going to result in distance from others. An out-of-whack relationship with God is going to give us the tendency to ruin relationships with others because these unmet needs that God meets that causes us to destroy our human relationships. Roll ahead to the New Testament. The Apostle Paul is writing in the book of Galatians, and he's talking about us living lives that are either apart from God or controlled by God. And God gave us his spirit that we might be controlled by him, but, but we can choose to live in 
flesh apart from him. And Galatians 5, 19 to 21 talks about the deeds of the flesh. Now, the flesh is everything we do apart from God. And I want to read this list from Galatians 5, 19 to 21. And I want you to follow along and see how many of these characteristics happen in relationships. So here we go. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, all these things which I have forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So these are the characteristics of living in the flesh apart from God. Let me read some of those again. Jealousy, disputes, anger, factions, envying. Where do those characteristics play out? In relationship, right? Jealousy, envy. Anybody been jealous before? Isn't that a great feeling? Don't you love being jealous? But you've got to mask it, right? You know, I, I'm really jealous of you, but I've got to pretend like I'm your friend. I'm a hypocrite. I'm smiling, but I, I want envy, factions. You've been there? It's miserable. God says, I want to come in and meet those needs so I can rejoice in your success rather than be envying it. Oh, your kid's on the honor roll, and my kid's uh, on academic probation. I smile. That's so good. But inside, it's why can't I, blah, blah, blah. God said, I want to free you from that. So you can really enjoy human relationships. Now, I, I want to flip the script. In Galatians 5, and 23, the next verses talk about the fruit of the Spirit. That is having God's Spirit in control, empowering and directing our lives. Here's what it says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against things there is no... It's a fruit. It's a natural outcome of having God's Spirit lead us and direct us. So how would you like to have your relationships characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness? How about that, for starters? Could you use a little bit more? I could. I could. My spouse, my kid, my coworkers, a little bit more in love, joy, peace. That's a natural outcome. So as a junior in college, there was a couple... Seniors, they were graduating, getting married. They were involved in our little group of campus crusades. So there was a picnic with them, and they were going to kind of a shower, and then people spoke some words of encouragement. And the, the campus director for campus crusades spoke, and he said, the best thing you two can do for one another is live in the power of God's Spirit. It's the best thing you can do for one another. And I was 21 at the time, and I thought, nah, I can think of some other things that might be that. But you know what? After 25 years of marriage, they're right. The best thing you can do for your spouse, the best thing you can do for your kids, uh, the best thing you can do for your parents, kids, live in the power of God's Spirit. Let the fruit of the Spirit come through. See, connection with God is connection with others. Distance from God equals distance with others. And, And Cain's lived that out. You talk about distant. You just killed your brother. You just... Taken, a primary relationship. You don't need more siblings. Well, verse 9, God's going to give Cain a chance to get right. Here's what he says. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? Like, and we get irrational here. You're going to fool God on this? You're going to pretend? That's what, that's what Cain's going to do. And he says, I don't know. You're lying. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, God knows. Verse 10, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. 
Now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. There's consequences, Cain. You're going to suffer. Now, God is still gracious. Because Cain cries out in verse 13. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Here's what God says. Behold, you have been driven this day from the face of the ground. And from your face, I will be hidden. And I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. God's watching over him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. God is still gracious. Yeah, there are consequences, but the grace of God never stops. I'm going to put a mark on you. Yeah, you're a vagrant, you're a wanderer, you're vulnerable, but I'm going to put a mark on you. And no one's going to slay you. And 17 through 24, you can read Cain's life. He, he marries, he has a family, builds a city, leads in music, leads in raising animals. So, so he accomplishes things. And you, you get a, a, a bit of Cain's legacy. And I'm not going to read it all, but I do want to read verses 23 and 24. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech, give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. And my only point in reading that is, it only takes two or three generations of being apart from God that violence begins to spin out of control. Got a couple more murders recorded and more coming, and you think we live in a violent world, and you say, why does it happen? Well, it goes all the way back to the beginning of time. We separate from God. We move apart from God. All of a sudden, he's not there to meet our needs for significance, our needs for security. And so I need to begin to take from you. Maybe you've got something I want. Maybe from a nation, you've got a port city. Uh, maybe you're a more accomplished athlete. And, and so if I'm not making war, I'm not killing. I, I'm cutting you down with my tongue. I'm saying things about you. I, I'm, I'm backstabbing you. I, I, I can't kill you because I'd be caught in the law and I'd, I'd be thrown in jail. So I, I find some other way. And we begin to get violent, either, either directly or indirectly. Again, we're talking about a relationship with God, and we're, and we're saying when we're apart from God, there's a whole bunch of systems. There can be gluttony, there can be drunkenness, there can be workaholism, there can be uh, uh, addiction to pleasure, there can be a lot of things. But one of the symptoms is relational issues. And for many of us, we would say one of the things that matters most to us is our relationships, our family, our friends, our coworkers, our parents, our kids, whatever. When we're distant from God, distance creeps into the relationships. When God is not meeting our needs for significance, intimacy, closeness, and we begin to put those needs on other people, we begin to put unreasonable expectations. One of the biggest problems when I have with marriage counseling is you've got unreasonable expectations. When we're insecure because God isn't meeting our need for security, we're jealous. 
we're envious when other people succeed. Or God forbid their kids succeed more than our kids. God wants to meet our deepest needs. I, I think one of my biggest failings as a parent is I get afraid of the future for my kids. Like, what about this? What about that? And, and I snap and I jump. And, and God loves my kids and God's got my kids' future figured out. I'm a lot better off when I trust them. And I would argue with your spouse, with your kids, with your coworkers, if you're a boss, if you're an employee, those needs, God needs to meet. If he's not meeting them, you're going to be less of, of whatever that is. Distance with God equals distance in our relationships. Connection with God equals greater connection in our relationship. Let me take you back to verse 10. God says, what have you done? Saying this to Cain. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Abel's blood called for condemnation. 2,000 years ago, Jesus' blood was shed for you and for me. But it didn't call for condemnation. It called for redemption. Christ wants to redeem that, and he shed his blood for you. In a moment, after we get done, after I pray, we're going to sing this song in Christ alone. It speaks of that redemption of being restored with God. If you never made that decision, I'd suggest you do it because that's God's plan for you. But if that doesn't motivate you, for the people around you, would you be right with God? God, Jesus makes that possible through his death on the cross, through his shed blood. You know, one of the core values we have here at North Point is we believe that life change happens best through relationships, so we strive to build relationships. I mean, we talked about the chili feed. That's a, that's a chance to build relationships. We're, we're always doing that. We believe life change happens through relationships, so we're, so we're striving to build them. But, but we understand at the core of human relationships has to be a right connection with God. We talk about the importance of friendship and spiritual people speaking into our lives that begins with being right with Christ. So when I, going back to my opening illustration, when I went to see this physical therapist, he gave me these sets of exercises. One, I had to lay on my back and put my feet up in a chair and put a football between my feet and put a band around my things and I had to suck all the air out. I just laying on my back doing that. What are you doing? He was isolating the abdominal muscles. He was isolating all this thing, isolating my abdominal muscles. Why? So my back could be better. That's why we encourage you to focus on your relationship with God because there's a spin-off effect. Your human relationships will be better. Distance with God equals distance in human relationships. Connection with God equals connection in human relationships. Let me pray, and I'll invite our worship team to come back up and close us. So, Lord, uh, we're grateful for the uh, mistake, the, the lessons of Cain and Abel, uh, somebody who was far from God and turned down, turned down the offer to be right and uh, walked away. The end is he ended up committing murder and he faced the consequences of that, destroying um, the relationships he had. Lord, we don't want to be those kind of people and, and we have that tendency. So, 
would we deepen our connection with you, that we might deepen our connection with others. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.